Well, welcome to Roots Radio, a podcast about living with ALS. We are your hosts, Lenny and Jesse. Lenny was diagnosed with ALS in 2019. I am a social worker with ALS United Mid-Atlantic. Together, we take a deep dive into the lives of those incredible individuals living with ALS, as well as those in the community advocating for families who have been touched by ALS in some way. Roots Radio was inspired by Lenny's desire to help others who are living with ALS like he is. Out of his desire, Roots Radio was born. The inspiration for our title, Roots Radio, draws meaning from the belief that the roots of who we are in this world is and always will be a part of who we are, especially in the face of ALS. The roots of our experiences in the world, the companionship we seek, the love that we feel, and the reflection of what we have meant to others, these are the roots that we will continue to nourish our community, despite the ever-changing nature of ALS. To quote our friend Kyle Mullins, ALS is a club that we never wanted to be a part of, but thank God there is a club. Welcome, everyone, to episode 15, which I guess at this point, every episode is a milestone. Yes, it so is. It's true that like, is having 15 episodes, but it's really super. And before we get started, I do our opening joke. Oh, okay. You opening joke. The joke Jesse. I forgot. I forgot. Yes, a couple yes. episodes ago, we thought it'd be fun to start with a joke. And a couple of just a corny joke, but the answer is quite elementary. What do you get when you cross a pig with a centipede? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a pig with a centipede. A bacon and legs. A bacon and oh. legs. <laughs> So anyways, now that corniness is out of the way, we are very privileged today to have two people joining us who really have had a special calling to help with families and children, refer to them just as social agents for change, working in child welfare. So we have Robin and her husband, Bob, with us. And I think you'll find during the course of our discussion here, the podcast, as Jesse and I did when we first met them, that they're very genuine, sincere, caring people. So with that, Bob and Robin, welcome to Australia. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. It's a joy to be with you and Jesse. Thank you guys for being here. And for our listeners, we are live and in person here. We're all together in one room. That's so right. this is yeah. exciting. <laughs> Norm is here as well. He's checking us out. <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Um, Robin, we are so lucky to have this opportunity to chat with you and Bob today. Um Thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, one of the many things that struck me when I met you um, was this like just this visceral palpable feeling of deep, deep compassion and care for others. Um, and like Lenny said, it's something that's so genuine and it, 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 I just felt it when I met you. I know Lenny felt it when we talked to you on the phone for the first time and you, you as well, Bob. Um can you just share with us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, your travels, sort of what led you to 
the work that you do now. Sure. It's funny you say you felt compassion from me. That's the first thing I felt when I met you at the ALS clinic. And Bob and I both agreed, wow, what a heart Jesse has. And I see the same thing in you, brother. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in a home with both my parents were teachers until my dad switched to business. But I think I have a teacher in me all along. Um, but my mom, she would be a great listener. She would always want to hear about our days at school. And what I remember most is if I complained about boys that were pulling my long braids <laughs> or bothering me, I would tell her and she'd listen. Then she'd say, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I wonder if those boys get enough love at home. And it taught me to turn away from what was going on for me and to think, what are people going through? And now that I'm more mature, I look back and say, Mom, why didn't you listen harder to me? <laughs> but it actually it led to my career of being a therapist, uh, advocate for so many people. And so when my dad switched to business, we started moving a lot. We moved from California to PA and then Connecticut, New Jersey, a lot of moving. So I was in a lot of schools. And the thing I learned from that was I really had an eye for people who felt on the outside of the circle that were ignored or made fun of. Um, I wasn't bullied, but I knew what it was to be watching from the outside. So I remember in second grade, I was new at the school and I saw this little girl during recess all by herself. Her nose was running and I knew she was in need of something. And my heart went out to her. But this is the lesson my mom taught me. It was Valentine's Day coming up. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're going to make your box. You're going to give Valentine's to every child. Back then, they did not have that rule. Oh, now they do. Right. Yeah. And so I said, no, not Carol. Dude. And she said, yes, Carol. Who's Carol? Yes. Yeah. So I made one for her. The next day, all the kids dumped their boxes out. And I could see her at the front of the class. She emptied out one for me. And I can still get choked up thinking about her look, looking back at me, thanking me with her eyes. Mm. But it was the first time I had been seen back. I noticed people, but I felt her looking at me. And that's the story of my life. I have been aware of needs and stepped towards them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then... My that story is so beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> that just is. And you were in second grade? Yes. Gosh. Yeah. Amazing the things we remember, you know? It's really clear. Yeah. Ugh. So with my dad um, moving. I was going to say. Oh, 
my dad was away a lot on business trips. My mom wanted to start fostering. She waited till I went to college though. And the first experience was with two little kids, four and six. And my dad said yes to it. They were in the home and within a few weeks, one rainy night, the doorbell rings and it was their mother. We knew that because she had red hair like them. Yeah. And she thanked my mother for taking care of her kids. My mom and dad invited her in. And before he knew it, they got permission from the county to have her move in. And that have the was like, yes. With you guys. Yes. And so my mom could model mothering to her. They had suffered a lot of abuse at the hand of the father and the county agreed that was the way to go. And so that story, I'm still in touch with the young man who's now probably, I don't know, late 30s. Oh my gosh. Um, he became a missionary to China because of his exposure to church with my parents. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So that's what put it in me. And my mom called her house the well. She wanted it to be a place where people could come to eat, to sleep, to rest, to get away from stress and drink deeply of love and connection. So, yeah, that's where it came from. So wow. I, what I find really interesting with that is obviously you were born with that special intuition of feeling and being very sensitive to those around you. But at a very young age, because I always look at levels of maturity from, you know, from infant to adolescent adult, it could be gauged by how well one projects outward instead of inward. You're always looking, you know, not what can you do for me, what I can do for you. And that's a that's probably a little I, I don't mean so much like that. Why well, I, I do, but it's always I because you, you you see kids, you know, they get presents, they go from one present to the other. As you get older, you realize that what's fun about presents is giving them. And you realize that at a young age that you got such a joy out of being the one to put a little smile on this person's face. Yeah, that's very true. And my mom was known for joyfulness. Um, and my dad said yes to her desire to have more and more people um, cared for. But it was definitely true that I still get so much joy out of caring for others. One thing that changed, though, when I got into foster work myself, I realized that in order to care well for kids in care and birth parents or foster parents even, I had to do internal work inside of me because one thing that happened to me, I was always helping and I was trying to fix things for people. And then I learned that I can't just storm in and fix I have to find out what does that person need. 
Right. So I matured yeah. in this work. <laughs> it's been very maturing. Yeah, it sounds like you did mature for a lot, a lot of time. Then that's great. Thank you. Hey, Bob, how about you? I mean, obviously, Robin's had this this gift, this calling from a very young age. And you were very much in the the same arena, working with side by side with Robin. Did you feel it, this interest in helping children and families from an early age on, or is something that more evolved more for you over time? I, I did. Thanks for asking, Lenny. I I did, I did feel that way. Um, uh, you know, my my dad was it was is my earthly hero. And and great mom and dad and and both of us always thank God for you know our our parents and what we were what we were given what was provided for us. My biggest worry as a kid was you know when my dad came home from work was was I going to be pitching tonight or playing you know first base or whatever. Right, right. He was a professional athlete and and uh, loved kids. So I got my I watched my dad. Everybody wanted to be on. He was much bigger than six seven guy and but a gentle. Uh, like Norm, Norm, a gentle giant, you know, <laughs> and uh, and kids just loved him. Very gentle man. And um, so just seeing how he and my mom were with kids, our our car used to call it a beach wagon. It was a station wagon, you know, but he'd have that it was always filled with uh, sports equipment and uh, and a lot of kids who needed a ride. And uh, and so I grew up with that. And when I when I, you know, when I met Robin, uh, you know, she said a phrase earlier about it, just I saw the need and I went towards it, you know, and I'm and I'm thinking I'm so glad at the at Wheaton College that um, when she saw me, she saw the need and she went towards me, you know, so, <laughs> so she knew. But uh, yeah. I used to always think, uh, who's that girl? The girl, you know, uh, this girl with really thick hair on the tennis team, you know, and I found myself lingering long by the tennis courts after I'd work out. I'd say, there's that girl again. <laughs> so. Uh, but it's been a joy, like working with Robin and learning from her and her mom truly is. I have no mother-in-law jokes in my arsenal. There are none because she was amazing. My mom, old mother Hubbard, uh, my mom used to say when she met Robin's mom, her mom sang at our church, home church once. And from, I grew up in Massachusetts and they visited us as a young couple. And her mom sang a solo at our, at our church, big church. Bethany Church, and uh, I remember my mom just looking, and and I remember my mom saying later, not because of the song, but because of the way she ministered to people and saw people. She said, I remember her saying to me, Bobby, wow, now there's a Christian lady. Aww. Now there's a lady that she saw the 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 outward focus. It's not about me. It's it's about the others. And and I was playing a lot of ball, and I remember when all my friends, when our first place we lived in, we didn't have a stick of furniture. So, and it was near Christmas time and we had all my buddies that I played with six, nine, six, eight, all these big guys that were playing ball. What, but baseball? This was basketball. Basketball. Okay. And they came play baseball as well, but these were the big guys from basketball. And so they said, you come bring a date or whatever, or whatever you want, but you got to bring a pillow in your, in your quilt or comforter. <laughs> and, uh, and we watched it's a wonderful life. But the thing, my point reason bringing that up was again, no furniture, just all that, but. I'd always go, where's Robin like that? And I'd see she'd be talking with a friend over in the corner. Or when I brought her home for the first time, I remember, I remember saying, coming home and uh, doing an errand comes up. Where's, where's Robin? Well, you're, you're, she's out with your dad. 
And then I then I went out a little bit further and, and you know, meet talked to some friends, came back and said, Is Robin home yet with with Dad? You know what? She went to a movie with your brother. And uh, so <laughs> the thing that I loved was that um He's it wasn't thing. ever just uh holding my hand. Right. I knew she loved me when we fell in love, but it was I saw her always reaching out into the others. And I love that about Robin. So that's that's great. So a little sidebar here. I love sports. You betcha baseball, basketball. So what professional team did your father play for? Well, in, in basketball, it would and I saw your Phillies hat, you know, in there. <laughs> and basket in basketball, my dad um played with a team that would like the Atlanta Hawks that used to be called the Tri-City Blackhawks. Okay. And so he played with them in, in the the early NBA and then wasn't even called the NBA then, and then it was switched to NBA. And then he was also a, a, a big promising lefty pitcher, basketball pitcher. And he played, he was in the minors with the Brooklyn Dodgers. They brought him on. But my dad, when he went into the service, was asked to pitch an exhibition game and pitch 20 innings against Notre Dame. 20 innings, yes. all 20. Wow. And he damaged his rotor cuff, which then they all, all they did was give you cortisone shots. And so he stayed in the minors and pitched, did more curves, but he was a fastball pitcher. So he played both basketball and, and, uh, and baseball. So and, baseball was the amateur level with the promising career. No, you say he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes, he did play in the, in the minors. So he had so the minors there. Yeah, yeah. Did he overlap with the you know, famous Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, Pee Wee Reese? And, you know, I you don't know. I, you know, I know he's spoken. I know this. He pitched against Whitey Ford and, and won against Whitey Ford. I know that. But my dad was very, um, I did not know my dad was a pro athlete until I was punished as a young boy. <laughs> and my mom sent my brother, Greg, who's in ministry, he loves sports, good athlete. But we got sent down to clean the basement. And when we, and, uh, and you know, you can talk to your father when he gets home type of thing. Yeah. We were cleaning the basement. There were these old bureaus. And these uh, chest of drawers and we opened some up. So what are these? We dust, you know, dust them off and we pulled out these old books and little did we know they were, we didn't even know what a scrapbook was, but my grandma, my paternal grandma had put those together for my father. So there was articles there from written with Red Arback and the Celtics and, and all these things about my dad, but my dad never, I, I, he just never mentioned it. Matter of fact, his quote line was, Oh, son, I was a ham and egger, you know, <laughs> so going along with your joke, your joke, you know, bacon yeah. and eggs, but bacon and legs, but uh, <laughs> right, right. he always say I'm a ham and egger. I was a ham and egger son. When somebody would say, hey, did you know your dad with him? And, and he'd say, Bob, there's a, you know, so very, you know, very humble. But uh, so we learned a lot. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love sports. I, can, I don't know. I'm more, well, more 70s, 80s, 90s. Sure. But I certainly know a little bit about the history of the sports. And, yeah. You know, the waiting four days, the, you know, uh, the Red Arback, Tommy Eitzen, Sam Jones. Oh, I have George Mikan, Davilchek. What? All those guys. Yes. And George Mikan, excuse me for interrupting, George, when you say that, George Mikan is my, my brother, Greg, um, is, was quicker on the draw, but when, when my dad passed, uh, um, 
my brother Greg was able to, my, my youngest brother Barry is the archival guy in the house and he knows all the scrapbooks, but he found this great picture of my dad guarding George Mikan. Oh, really? Yeah, and, oh. And, and an artisan made that into a clock. So it hangs on my brother's wall. It has my dad guarding, oh, which my dad, so I remember cool. my dad saying, guarding George Mikan was like guarding a wall <laughs> because he wasn't just tall. He was his shoulders, he said. So when you're behind him, if he turned, you were out of the picture, you know. So, but again, my dad wasn't a, when I used to speak at youth camps, I always, when they'd say, oh, you know, father, they'd make you sound more special than you are and say, he was, you know, his father was a pro athlete and all that, you know, and, uh, but I always would say my dad, if he was here, he'd say, I'm a ham, first of all, I'm a ham and yeah. egg. I'm, I'm so glad I got to do what I do, did, but, but the number one thing I, I say, my dad wasn't an all time great in basketball, but my dad was an all time great dad. And so great legacy. Yeah. There's a sweet story about a little boy that came to his father and Mr. Hubbard just picked him up and tossed him in the air. And he said, gee, Mr. You, you sure know how to pick up a kid. And I feel like that's what Bob is like too. Uh, he works with children in foster care. He's been a youth pastor for many years in the past and kids feel really seen and cared about by him. So it was natural for us to want to work side by side. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about what it is that you actually do? I mean, we talked to you know, the concept, but it sounds like one of your earliest experiences as a child with your mother and father actually has transcended that time to what you do now and trying to purposefully, for lack of a better word, revitalize a familiar relationship between the, the children and the parents, the birth parents, but making sure it's a safe and loving home that they're going back to because you don't want to damage. So if you could yeah. maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. I know that um, when Bob was a youth pastor in Spokane, Washington, um, we noticed that people were fostering in that church. And so we got prepared to do it as well. I mean, started having kids come in, respite, like eight days. And just that experience opened our eyes to there are so many more needs in that child that we can't just treat her or him a certain way and he'll be fine. They, those kids don't feel safe, even in safe homes. So it put us on a path of wanting to be better understanding vulnerable families. So I read a book called Orphan Train. It was super thick. Um, the very last page, well, the orphan train carried kids from New York City, across to the Midwest, and farmers would choose these kids off the train to adopt them. And when was this? This was like was the late 1800s, early 19th. Okay. So I read the book. You realize when you read it, it wasn't orphans only. It was really poverty-stricken families. They take these kids. So I read in the last page. It said, if you really have a heart for kids in foster care, 
you need to strengthen birth families. And it hit me in a really deep, surprising way. I started to cry. I had my Bible nearby and it started opening and finding all these passages that talk about the outcasts, the vulnerable, um, fathers needing to be restored to their own children. And just about every alien needing to be cared for and the oppressed. And then I had this vision. I've never had a vision before or since. I could see myself up above a patchwork of farmland. I saw a, a barn, a little farmhouse, a little country church. Jesus was on the roof. My husband was inside behind a podium. No one was there to hear him. That shows you it's accurate. <laughs> yeah, you figured it's Then all the wheat that was growing turned into kids. And it, I don't know, might have been a minute long. But when I was done, I just knew that was a vision that I would need many people to do with me. And that was 15 years ago. And from that moment on, I started looking into like-minded people. I won, I, we were moving to Pennsylvania soon after that. And I saw a job where I'd learn how to help vulnerable families. And that's what led me eventually to foster adoption with Salvation Army. And that was a great job, but it was full of grief. I saw the, I worked as a visit coach for moms and dads whose kids were in care. And I think it's the first time I realized I cannot help them help their kids if I don't meet their needs. And that might've been they were hungry or they never had someone ask them how they were because families that lose their kids to the system, there's so much shame, so much devastation, and there's a lot of tasks they're told to do, and they can't change unless they feel supported. So that's when I really learned these families have to be loved and cherished, to be seen, heard, and valued. It's that simple. And so that put me in a place of having great love for these birth families. Many did not get their kids back, maybe half and half. And we grieved that. So I also had to help foster parents understand these parents, not to judge them, to come alongside of them when they could, to build a bridge for the children's sake. So they had two families on their team. And that is where I am today um, because of Salvation Army. I had a partnership with Faith Church. I would go over there and teach. Tell them what we do, TBRI. TBR, uh, <clears throat> Robin and I both were able to go to uh, Texas Christian University for uh, you know, a, a 
concentrated amount of time, short time, but it was intensive training. It's all the it's all the latest brain research. It's called the Karen Purvis Center for Child Development now, and but um, and uh, it really what it teaches you is 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 what the needs are, how to get the you know there's what's the need behind the behavior of the children, and so it it really teaches you to to gain understanding about that so that so you you know, you're able to give that child voice. What is it that you need? Karen Purvis was famous. She's with the Lord. Now she passed a wonderful lady, uh, but has a way of like lifting a chin. Makes me think about that. And the Bible where it says the lifter of our heads, uh, that kid, like you think of the opposite of shame, lifting the chin, being able to say, Hey buddy, can I see those eyes? Can I see that? What's, what's going on? What do you need? Are you hungry? Are you, you know, those types of things. And uh, so, you know, having that information and then being able to come come by and Robin just did so much, so much training. That's why it was so hard for when she say, my voice is changing. You know, I was just feeling more of a struggle because she was always doing COVID doing zooms, you know, training uh, the biological and the, you know, foster parents too, so that they would have this information about just things like playful engagement, what that does for a, a child when they know, you know, I'm known as being like a goofball and that's okay. Like I, I know that when you laugh with a kid and you can be silly, they, they're at ease, you know, they can do that. So, uh, you know, but I learned, I learned so much from Robin. She became just, you know, she was like the go-to in that. And uh, even when Karen Purvis passed away, David Cross was her, who's now retired of just a brilliant man that, uh, they were the two, uh, I would say, the cogs in the wheel there that um, I just so wise. And she got to teach out in where actually that first orphan train was. Yeah, right? that's what's amazing to see this path traced. So Dr. Cross who created the um, trust-based relational intervention with care and purpose. He grew up in foster care, had never been adopted, but all his years his parents were not able to care for him. So when I wrote him a thank you note for creating this work that we get to do, he wrote back and it ended up, he invited me to teach in Illinois to a group, a big group of foster adoptive professionals. And after two days of training side by side, which was shocking to me, but wonderful. Yeah. They gave us a tour of the baby fold. It was this, the people who sponsored the event. It was foster care, adoption, a school for kids with autism. They took us from room to room, and then they stopped and they said, do you know where you are right now? You're at the last stop of the orphan train. The last stop meant who's left? just babies. Mm. People didn't want a farmhand that was a baby. So these deaconesses at the local church in normal Illinois started an orphanage with these kids. And I was standing on the place where my vision started. That is, is mind blowing. That is, you can't argue with a higher power when no. you think about that, yeah. right? I've seen him yeah. trace his hand and his plan from start to finish. And actually, when I started to feel sick, 
I, of course, wondered, maybe I'm not supposed to be at Hope Harvest Farm. Um, maybe I just saw it from above because I'm not going to be here. But he brought it to pass in August of this past year, and it's been off and running. It's amazing. His timing was perfect. Yeah. Well, I think maybe that's easy. Yeah, you say maybe you're not supposed to be here for Hope Harvest Farm. But maybe that vision the Lord was giving you a overview of what you are thinking of doing that what it should look like and you know taking us taking a step back from the details you know not losing sight of the forest for the trees yeah. so you had this overview that there you're able to fill in the you know the details Get to know first what you were doing, and or would get to start with a picture of the end. It was yeah. like a compass. I had to walk a lot of different roads to be prepared. I didn't even know it would be for foster kids and their families and their birth families until I was in that world. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is the population. Mm -hmm. So it's been an incredible gift to see it come to pass. And Anyone who lives in the Lehigh Valley should come. Yeah. One of my new friends, Sarah, yes. um, part of this community, she drove by with her son and saw our goats and our ponies. And then I was blessed to go to her home and visit with her. It was amazing. So, yeah, we have more work to do. And I did want to say, your podcast, somewhere when I listened to one, you were saying it's about joy and about purpose. And I feel like that is exactly what people need to not lose sight of, that we can still have joy and purpose and that playful engagement he talked about. When parents or a social worker are playful and they connect much better to kids and adults and it disarms fear. And that's what we need in order to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning of the groundwork for what we do, how to be safe people and help teach people how to be warm, nurturing, responsive, so kids can cooperate. And their trauma does not overwhelm them because they feel someone's with them to meet their needs. So that's what we're about. Oh my gosh, you guys. I like what you said in, in the write-up when I read the, the uh, you know, the format today, and you used the word rooted. And I just thought about that, the roots of, you know, who you are and your journey and all these things. And I, one of my favorite passages talks about, it says that you have been rooted and established in love to your very innermost being. And Paul in the Bible is just saying, I want you to I want you to grasp how wide and long and deep and, you know, the, the uh, you're not going to be able to grasp the hugeness of God's love. But I want you to know this. And later in another letter, it says perfect love casts out all fear. And that's what Robin's saying. The play, you know, just none of us wish we did loves perfectly. But um, there's one who does. But. We don't, and, but when we experience even a taste of that, when we just do that, that we're safe or that in the first family that came on the farm, we had only been there a week 
And so we weren't organized by any stretch, but a family came, a mother that you had had, um, Levi, what, what, this boy at what age? I had worked with her and her son to bring him home. He was six and it was almost two years, maybe a little over. And she called the week we landed there and started to set things up because we leased the property. Um, she called and said, he misses you. Can he come see you? It's, he's about to turn 12. And she uh, had my number. So I said, all right, we can do a party for him. Yeah. So tell who she brought. So she brings her, she <clears throat> comes up. I had never met these people. I have heard his, his name. So this 12-year-old, his 10 or 11-year-old sister, and two uh, two brothers that, I guess half-brothers or whatever, that, that were a little bit older, twins. And they come. And the first thing they say to me is they go up, the little boy is, is I just see him going, you know, mouthing lips. Then, you know, he missed her. And uh, so they get out. And the first thing the teenagers say is, do you have a basketball hoop? And they had their basketball in their car. And I said, you're killing me. I said, we just got here. I said, I've been thinking about, I want to put a hoop like Larry Bird on that barn, on the big barn. And, but my son overheard that. And my son, Britt came and he said, Hey dad. And he whispered to him, I said, we don't have an actual peach basket like they owe back in the day. But he goes, we have those produce um, baskets. You want me to cut the bottom out of the rectangle? And, and he, so he put one 10 feet up, measured with measured 10 feet up. And that, that is still on one of the sides That's of the barn. Great. We've I had more that. fun with that crate. And those guys, we played horse and all kinds of games, you know, they, they loved it. But the kicker is this little boy, Levi, he comes out and first thing he did was look at me and say, what's wrong with your eye? That's mm-hmm. a basketball injury from, years ago, uh, torn retina. But he looks, he goes, hey, what's wrong with your eye? Of course, his older siblings say, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah. You, know, you, know, you know, they were embarrassed, mortified, you know. Yeah. And uh, but we had a wonderful time celebrating. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of love. The mother, you could tell, just felt that's the thing about what they go through, what they, when they're judged or whatever, because she's had a tough life. But at the end of the night, I'm talking to the teenagers who said, can we come here? Like, can anybody come here? Because I like, one of them just said, I like what we're talking about. We don't usually talk about oh these things. Gosh. Just talking about things my dad taught me about, you know, how everybody matters in this life and about being a gentleman, being a man of, being a man of character and treating others the same. And uh, this, he comes up and he says, hey, Bob. I said, yes, Levi, what, what's up, buddy? He said, I just want to say, I felt, these are his words exactly, I felt so special tonight. And guess what? I kind of think I own this farm. Oh. That was it, man. That was it for us because we're leasing it. We don't own it. And it's uh, we never had the money. But for a little guy to say, man, I felt like, talk about roots. I, I feel like I own this place. Like I belong here. And that's what we want is people to feel like they come we're, we're on even ground here, you know, enjoy the horses, God's creation, enjoy the, the, you know, the humor of it, go for a walk with our daughter Jillian with the two little mini horses on the lead, you know, that they're hysterical themselves just to see their, they got about a, you know, one of them's got about a six inch inseam leg length, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, just, you know uh, Winifred, how's that for a handle? Yeah. So um, just, it, it's just, 
delightful. So it's just, it's not in a sense, um, and I don't want to admit it because this is, this is, this is all grace, but we never were able to, before we would probably like to buy a farm and do that. But um, it came along, it came along and my daughter found it. And when we all got on the people who have been looking for us, family members looked around, they go, this because so many times it was now this wouldn't work or this, you know, too much. And they go, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. So um, we're grateful. And, uh, and, and I want to just say it's, it's been hard. You know, when you think about the mysteries of life or Lenny, you mentioned like the, the wise or given the overview, given the big picture. So you don't get lost in the minutia or whatever details. But I have said, you know, wow, this is Robin's vision. And we finally are here. To be honest with you, it was kind of like a Lord, what do you, you know, what's going on? I mean, and yeah. I say that with you because I realize, I mean, who are no more special than anybody else? Things happen in life. And and how so how's God gonna use this? How's he gonna use it? And uh and we're gonna and for me, I always use the term many, and I gotta tell you, you are, and I think of the word champ, and I think of who you have too. In, in your corner, in your life, um, not just Norm, but <laughs> the one wearing the Brooks, a bright countenance, uh, a second coming in here, a warm welcome, an offering of whatever food, as long as you get it yourself, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and quick to, to laugh. And, uh, and I always say, I always say she's a champ. I always thought that her mom was a champ. And uh, so, um, Anyway, uh, it's a joy. Yeah, that's, that's quite a journey. And I want to go back to a couple of things that you said, Robin. And because I never thought about foster children and the birth parents. I'm the first to admit my ignorance. They you find out somebody's lost their children, that person has a stigma. You know, it's like a divorced couple. Just the way it is when you find out that I was I'm a very doting father, but you don't expect the child children to be with the mother. If it doesn't happen that way, it's like, oh, you know. And I'm I'm very embarrassed by that. But the fact that but everything you said is so so simple and so seen, heard, and valued. Which is all we all want. Yeah. Right. You don't want somebody to be talking over you. Right. You want somebody to say, to ask, what do you think? And hear them out. And you want to have the courage yourself to say, yeah, I was wrong. You're right. We'll do it that way. And also what you were talking about just now, Bob, that I say a lot to people because it's, uh, and I've had a word with somebody, you know, but it is so easy to make somebody feel special. A simple thank you, or you look nice today, you know, or you looked at me when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take it. (laughs) You look nice today. So I think that your ability to, to overcome or to work through these social stigmas and, and cut to the core and say these are people that are hurting 
they want their kids back. I'm sure there's cases where it just is not good, but for the ones where it can be, if you're sleeping, you're awake now. But no, I, I just think that was really nice the way that you cut to the chase. You brought you 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 put it in front of us that we could all pick up. You just want to be seen, heard, and valued. And what you're doing is making these people feel special in an environment that they may never have had that opportunity to feel special. You know, you're what you're asking my opinion. Yeah, I do. Yeah, thank you. I do that. So I I I, I extend my my gratitude that to you to be able to simplify it and the most basic terms of humanity bring families back together, which is what it's meant to be. You make me think of first of all, you're a great listener, you hear everything and put it all together so well. But when I teach families that want to have better connection with their kids that are in foster care. They're bringing a stranger in the home, right? And when I train them to think about what the child needs, I try to simplify it. But it's the same for anyone who has kids, even adult kids. You can do the same thing. We know our worth when someone meets our need when they have, meet that need to see us, acknowledge us, to ask for our ideas. They like how we creatively express ourselves. That's seeing us, hearing us, and respecting us. And so everybody does need that. But I love two words that encourage anyone who parents or wants to repair. We all need comfort when we're in distress. So go to that child, that teenager, that hurting, maybe has mental health, adult child. Go to them and offer your presence and comfort, not advice, comfort. And then to celebrate them. So comfort and joy. When we have a baby in our arms, we comfort them. When, we, when they cry, but we delight in them and we ooh and ah over them. We can do that to a teenager. You mm. can say, you are such an awesome kid. I love you. And give them a fist bump. Mm. And that's delighting in them. And every kid likes to perform for a parent. Watch me, watch me. We can attend to them before they're yanking on us to pay attention. Everybody needs to have a connection. That's what it's about. So you're right. It, Lenny, it is more simple than we imagine. But I think the other thing that I hear you talking about, you say comforting somebody. But what you're enabling the parents, the birth parents, the foster children to do is to be vulnerable with you. Nobody likes to be vulnerable. You look at your friends, you look at your spouses. Those are people at a very 
deep level that you believe you could be vulnerable with. And you all need to share concerns, thoughts, what's worrying you, stuff like that. And that's why I like dogs. They are not judgmental. They, you can go walk up to them and they're going to love you regardless of what you did. Whether you paid them attention or not. And you're offering these people a place, these people, these families, these children, a place where they could be vulnerable. And I, I think that's, that's it's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's a complicated, but and it takes time. You may, in your mind, say, yes, you could be as vulnerable as you, you know that. But now you've got to, you've got to show them because you got to get that point across to them that Bob, he could come up to you and say, what's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> you know, he's like, he's not going to get a certain warning about, you know, proper etiquette. etiquette but you're going to tell the truth. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I belong in this farm. You know, that's, that's really a gift being able to have people open up. And that's what listening to you and like I said I'm embarrassed about my ignorance but I, I, I love the fact that you opened me up to this is that's what these situations are so like you know and uh yeah I mean I've got I've got I've got to do a better job. So well, I, I always tell this. people that you can't know something until you know it can't see something until you see it. And once you do, it takes a while to change. But you're listening to the story and finding meaning in it for yourself. And it's expanding your view of others. But you couldn't know until you heard, right? So, so, you know, you just made me think of, um, and it's interesting, that's where we, we watched this movie twice when we were in, uh, in Texas. It wasn't much that we weren't, didn't have a car and we weren't familiar with the area where we were training, but for, uh, for trust-based relational intervention, but we watched the movie, the help. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the help, when the, one of the key people there, uh, what's her name? Uh, Davis or last name, um, Viola. Uh, Viola. I love, you yeah. know, I just love that. Such a powerful movie, but she says, no one ever had asked me how it felt to be me. And when they did were in the room and they were sharing their stories together, the vulnerability of how they were treated and opened up, even the message that she gave that little girl, you was kind, you smart, you was important, you know, and she tried to ingrain that in that little girl. Remember what I told you, baby, she kept saying. And true, it isn't easy. We can even know things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we're, we're doing those things. You know, we, we miss it uh, sometimes. And, Robin teaches a lot of these programs, uh, making sense of your worth, a program that's an eight-week program. And and right now, I've, I've been doing that. I did it with a couple of men that were going to be incarcerated, but they have a chance through this grant that Salvation Army got that they could take this program instead. And you just realize this, is it isn't like the now, like the information that does it. It really isn't. I always say there's no silver bullet. It is just what you said, Lenny. It is how you treat and interact those people, whether they feel safe. And and my dad taught me this too, that no matter who they, like I just noticed this is so many children, but now men 
Like I've heard it said, show me a, a, a wounded boy and I'll show you a broken man. That it's better to deal with it when they're young rather than try to fix it later on. But when that how many men have never heard, like, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I heard that a lot. I'm, I'm proud of you, son. You got you lost, you know, you, you, the score wasn't in your favor. And I was proud of you. You showed a lot of moxie out there. You know, you hear those words, the character issues and things like that. That when somebody you give that to a guy that's maybe just been beaten up by life, feeling like he's, you know, um, it's it's amazing to see that that the change in their countenance in that, and then they start doing what you said, exchanging their ideas and being more of their authentic self. Um, it's like um, it's like who we are at our core, right? When we don't have to be so armored. And so defensive or protective or everything that trauma or life or just hard stuff has like layered on us as we've gotten older. Um, But what I find so fascinating about the work that you guys do and is that in a world right now that feels, can feel like so polarized. And so you're in this camp or you're in this camp and, you know, um, to have this view of advocacy that is let's bring everybody up, you know, because even on the sides of like I, in social work and advocacy, it's like you pick your, (laughs) like I joke, but in grad school, it's sort of like pick your population. Who are you going to work with? And like all your efforts go to like bring that community up and help that community. Well, in doing that, you're leaving other communities out, you know? And so I just think it's, it's so, um, it's just such a beautiful thing to say, no, we're not picking the birth mom or the foster mom or the child. Like we are looking at this from every angle and we can bring all of us up, you know, that's really, really special. And that's so, gosh, it's just, I feel like what's missing in so many things out there, you know, um, it's, it's so beautiful. You guys, it's, it's so, so beautiful. And as you were talking about the, um, you know, just this safe place for, in the farm, you know, for folks to be safe, feel seen, feel silly, feel important. Um, it makes me think a lot of you, Lenny, and like what this podcast has evolved to and how just you always say, like, I just want somebody to feel special. I want somebody to, you know, feel, um, and it doesn't take a, a, a Sometimes it is the simple, just connection, you know, that Slow makes somebody down. feel seen. Yes. Time with each other. Yeah. 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 Is it a, uh, I imagine it is, but for the work that you do, it must be a relatively small community that maybe it's not a small community of professionals, but I assume it's a very tight community of professionals where there's a lot of exchange and fluidity between those that are as dedicated as you guys are because I imagine anybody that does the work that has your calling you must you gotta share a whole lot of personality similarities share a lot of personality traits so is it a uh, is it a small community? 
is a, a, a tightly convicted community where you've got colleagues and peers that you all talk to on a routine basis to yeah. share success stories? That's a really good question because in my early years in this work with families who were traumatized, obviously traumatized, um, I found it really hard because I didn't have camaraderie in that organization. When I went to Salvation Army, I started to feel this camaraderie and this freedom to do the work. But it was when we started learning TBRI, trust-based relational intervention, that our whole agency started being more safe, more willing to be vulnerable with each other. And that has created a tremendous bond. I'm still really close to those women, mostly women, now Bob's over there. <laughs> um, but they're in my corner now, supporting me in so many ways. Every last Monday of the month, we have a Zoom prayer time to pray for the kids, parents, for the workers. And now at Faith Church, where I work, I have an incredible large staff around me as well, doing their own ministries. But I feel so much joy and connection there. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's unfortunately, there are way too many kids in foster care. It's a huge community. But if churches and people that are passionate about justice step forward, we could bring those kids in temporarily into a safe, loving home and prepare their parents well to receive them back. Maybe we can end foster care. So it's small, but it's kind of rare. In fact, one more thing. One of the things I get to do at Faith is I'm set free to reach out in the community to help other churches become more mindful about foster care to serve the Lehigh County Child Welfare Department. They are talking about weary, unconnected professionals. They do so much heartbreaking work and they're burned out a lot of the time. And so we are able to, without telling them who it is. We have given them lunches for the entire staff once a year and treats throughout the year. And the last time we delivered a lunch, I asked all our staff, which is like 50 people, to write notes on a big um, poster board, like butcher paper. And those people said their hearts were made happy by knowing people are for them and praying and serving them. And then when you take care of them, they will stay in their job. Because if a kid loses their caseworker, you probably know this, Jesse, their chances for having permanency, whether return home or adopt, goes way down with every changing caseworker. So that's why it is holistic. We have to serve everyone well. And for people to know that they matter, 
you know, that like you're, you and your team didn't have to meet all those in person, all those folks that work there, but like a note for them to walk into and just see on the wall, like you matter, yeah. see what you're doing. That's, isn't it so, that's so simple that way. That is the lesson that I learned from my dad. That's the, the, the lesson that that the wording that a little boy walking down the street with his brother and his dad and someone calling, seeing this scary man walk down the street and, and say to my father, Hey, big, he was well-known in town, my dad, and just, Hey, big Bob, Hey, big Bob. And he looked, he probably was an alcoholic. I mean, he looked scary to us. And I remember my father, my father saying, wait here, sons. And, uh, he went over to the man and I saw him have his arm on the man's shoulder and the man was talking to them and that, that. And then I saw my dad reach in his pocket and, and squeeze something in his hand and put his arm around them. And when it went off, the man just said, we had no idea. I mean, now I know it probably was money, but thanks, Big Bob. Thanks, Big Bob. And he went off. But when my dad and I and my brother, Greg, we got further up the road away from my dad turned to us and my dad wasn't a big lecturer or anything. Whenever he pointed his finger, it meant he really, he really wanted you to tune in, you know? And so there he was, you know, and he just said, let me tell you something, boys. And my brother, Greg, shared this at my dad's memorial service. So it was etched in our hearts. Let me tell you something, boys. Everybody matters in this world. And he said, everybody. You hear me, sons? You know, and so it isn't like, yeah, this, this information about the brain and all that or you know, some years in ministry, it, it, it's been the ministry of presence. It has, isn't going in there and giving some big theological thing. Sometimes it's like, you know, you brought the ice cream and the hot fudge and we're going to watch Andy Griff. Uh, you know, the, I'm thinking of a woman that's been the husband just, and we watch Barney Fife and laugh our heads off having a big old Sunday and just, just being together. And uh, so everyone matters. Yeah. And to show this dear and dear to Barter's heart and my heart. We used to watch Andy Griffith all the time. <laughs> the Andy Griffith, the Gober Pile, yeah. the Green Acres, and the Home Materials. Yeah. All on BTV. It was just yeah. nostalgic. Bar, uh, Barter was in love with Party Fight. Oh, who is it? I mean, that I was, I got her a t shirt of her boyfriend, Party Fight. Actually, it's Otis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but to see the laughter of this lady, Sammy, she passed in December. She's almost 90. She would just lose it over Barney when when Barney, especially um you ever see Barney trying to do the uh recite the statue uh, the uh, oh yeah, 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 the declaration of independence. Yes. <laughs> It's hilarious. He's so proud of himself. That's it, Eddie. We the people. We. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. I also like when he was making talk about party fights some other time, but we've talked around it. But why don't you tell us more? You know, really explain to us Oparvis Farm. Well, we have a website now. Yay! Just look up hopeharvestfarm.org. We'll put it in our link, too. Okay, great. Um, and it's very close next to the Glassburn Inn 
in Bowlesville. And it's designed for appointments, you know, call if you want to come. My son lives on site and he is a mushroom farmer. So we're regeneratively farming at the same time as regenerating, restoring lives. But it's so fun to know that a place of nature with so much beauty and there's a natural spring and a creek that crisscross. So the sound of running water, that is part of the healing and the animals and the nurturing care that the kids learn to do. And we're going to have mentoring for teens in, in care. He's going to have men's group to gather, to do projects together. And if we can get you there, Lenny, let's do it. Okay. I would love to. Have we'd have, your, we'll have thinking about lunch. various things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His brain's always going. Good. Yeah. We'd yeah. love to have your family there. How do you, where do you get your funding? Well, that look at she looked at me already. You know, I, you know, yeah, that's the word. That's the word is the appropriate word. Horrible. At, <laughs> at, um, at, you know, administrative stuff. Robin's better at it than him. But I never liked asking. That's a hard part of asking because I know we can't. Um, there have been some people that, that have given that are kind of close to what Robin does and always gracious. But we know we can't maintain it. On our, on our own it's uh but um having the website helps and having some people friends saying you know hey that's doesn't the good book say you know you you don't have because you don't ask and and mm -hmm. you know seek and you should find so i know people have their their things that are close to their heart that they give to but um we need to do uh more and this the website's going to help but also calling is people over the years that have said, let us know when you're doing such and such, we want to support. And, um, and, and I need to, I need to get past that, to be honestly, that, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uncomfortableness. There was a lady that's going to be 94 years old in the, in the end of May. And I called her the other day because she always said, what a great lady. Always. You let me know now when you're just, she loves Robbins the bit, the bit knew her mom and uh, just a wonderful lady. And I, I called her to follow through on a note she had sent, but then I said, you know, we are, we are going to be in need, you know, and, and she said, I was hoping you'd call. I was leaving it in your court. She said, you know, my son handles the, my finances now, but you're on that list. I want you to know that. So, um, uh, so we're, we're working on that. We're in the beginning of, of that. And, uh, but it is amazing how things just come out of the, the, you know, the back door, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you just, if you do, Robin has been so good with always reminding us, let's, let's just keep doing what we're supposed to do. We say we trust God. So let's trust God. And yeah, we have to make our needs known just like we like people that we're with and make, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. That's her, their thing. They always ask it's staff meetings with, with families. Hey, what's been going good for you? What's been kind of tricky and, um, and how can we help? What, what do you need? need? What do you need? Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know what I'd do without my son or uh, uh, two, two daughters, adult daughters and my son, and he's such a hard worker. But these calves, we have these two calves that uh, I want to meet them. Yeah. Yeah. Bottle fed. One of them got pneumonia and it, it 
it, it's been a lot of emotional work too, because they etch their way in your heart. And uh, so pepper and peach are the two calves and they're just uh, delicious. They're just so sweet. And, um, and uh, it's definitely it's a family it. affair. Yeah. And my, my son's, our son's girlfriend um, is amazing too. And the way she cares for the creatures, but it, yeah, it's vulnerable work, mm-hmm. but powerful outcomes of connection. Yeah. So you know, you're yeah. next, girl. I know your brain's going. My brain's going. I'm, think, I'm thinking about. You can host something, an event for all the people that you care about. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. We could make it happen. Yeah. yeah. The vision is there. Devil's in the details. I'm always like, and we could do this, and we could do this. And he's like, okay, okay. When you, details, details. <laughs> start with your family. We'd yeah. love to have you, Marta, and your dog, and your daughter. Yes. Oh, that's Christy. She's one of their caregivers. She's amazing. This is Robin and Bob. Yeah, we can make it up, but I'd sort of live like to. But if uh, I can't, if I can't make it up there, I'm sure Barbara and her three youngest grandkids would love to go up. Yeah, bring one of the ponies into yes. your home. <laughs> oh, so tiny, yeah. you could have a picture. Yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, that would be a great standoff for Gorm. <laughs> well, I don't know what he size. would think about that. Considering <laughs> he gets spooked with a feather falls before. <laughs> um. I I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. One of the things I wanted to uh, just thank you for is that um, a part of (laughs) so loud. Um, It's louder in my ear. That's why I jumped every time. (laughs) Um, One of the things I wanted to thank you for, and I think that Lenny has made it so apparent that like the reason for this podcast is to help people feel important and to help them understand that like ALS is real and it's there, but you're still in there, you know, and like it doesn't have to stop uh, your dreams and your passions. And sometimes they have to look a little bit different, but it doesn't mean it's over, you know, that those dreams are over. And um, I want to thank you for sharing this story because I know that it's going to make a difference to people um yeah thank you for sharing that with us it's been hard to face this uh, but i am learning to ask for help something i was pretty private now i have people that weep with me rejoice with me pray for me for all of us and that's been good plus your support group and also this podcast has actually made space for me. And I think that's pretty cool. And I love that you seem to, in general, people seem to stay in a day. That's all we have. Let's do this day the best we can and not worry about what's the next day after that. Just be in the moment. And so I appreciate that is why I'm surviving this and not fretting, just stay in the moment. Yeah. I might do more fretting. Than, yes. than, you know, but course. I don't want, of course, you love someone, Family. you don't want, you, you'd rather, you'd rather be the one to deal with it. But 
Lenny, you are an inspiration and I, it makes me, um, and I know we're probably closing, but I just have to say we could go on because I just like to, I would love to know, maybe it'll be some other time, but just were you always the way that you are in the sense that it's just so welcoming and, and just what you wrote about root, just, it just seems to be part of your, just your, your nature about just your, your kindness and your, the way you see people, you, when people are with you, I, I can say from our experience, we feel seen, heard and valued and uh, appreciate you you so much. Thank you for the compliment. I don't know that I'm deserving of all that, but I appreciate it. And it's interesting with ALS that I certainly, I mean, I've had dreams where I can walk and stuff like that. But then you, you know, you wake up and you realize, okay, I, I don't necessarily get sad. I guess I've accepted it because I have a great community around me. But I never felt part of a community until I got ALS. And so I say to myself, why well, I wish you didn't have ALS. But since I've had, since I was diagnosed, and I'm fortunate that I'm now going, I'm at the, the forward of Belcher, five years since being diagnosed. But I've made so many wonderful relationships since being diagnosed that I, it would be hard for me to trade it in. If I had to give up ALS and I have these relationships, I'm, I'm sure I would do it but it, I love it. The honesty and real so hard to uh to be so hard to, to trade in. You know, when I don't have a big community, I've got a small people well, it's just good. And so much goes to my wife. We got married in twenty twenty one. I was diagnosed in twenty nineteen. So she loved me and cared for me. And accepted my hand in matrimony, knowing what lay ahead of me. So I am, that's why I say I'm very fortunate as you are, and it can always be worse. And um, why don't you tell us how people can find out more about Hope Farm Harvest? Well, they can look on the website. The address is there, email. Um, what is the website? It's hopeharvestfarm.org. That's a That's good place to word. start. Yeah. Yes. Hopeharvestfarm.org. Mm -hmm. And the email, which is now connect, is it connect? At, it's, hmm. You should know that. I think That's it's basic connect. It's on the website. I feel okay. so much better. I feel seen right now because every time we record and we had we used to have it well we do have an email box but lenny's like and what's that email and i'm always like um yeah. roots radio <laughs> four at it at gmail.com i always i can't ever remember yeah, so i feel good. good that we're all <laughs> we'll put it in the link we'll put it in the link. <laughs> so but that's um that's how we like and this there's phone there's you know phone numbers be attached if somebody wants to come by right yeah because it 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 isn't just, we don't want it to be what we've, we've done parties for kids. People have called and said, could, you know, my daughter bring a bunch of friends and we can have a party there. So it's all about 
celebrating and strengthening families. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, well, that's, yeah. that's super. And I would look forward to the opportunity to collaborate with you from a point of view of awareness of what's out there, because I've learned that the people in this area are very generous and they are committed to causes. And there's a lot of good causes out there. The ALS is just one of them. Oop, Farm Harvest Farm, oh, farm is another one. So asking people to, to commit resources is difficult at times. I know exactly what you feel like. But it has to be done, and I think once people become aware of a cause and they can identify with it, I think that things are a lot easier. So hopefully sometime we can figure out a way where we can collaborate. That'd be great. I'd love that. Yeah, well, I would love to come out and see the forum, meet yeah. your family, and if I can't do it, I'm sure Marta would love to take her grandkids out there and her, and her daughter, because... They would love to see pepper and peach. <laughs> oh, they would. And maybe shoot some baskets. Yeah. Well, they're a little small for that, but anyways, <laughs> they like to make a best, so it'd be good out there on the floor. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. This was beautiful. <sighs> I don't want it to end. <laughs> wow, Lenny. This episode was something special with Robin and Bob. Robin and Bob. I really enjoyed it. I think it was one of my more fulfilling uh, podcasts that we have. I mean, I learned a lot. Things I had never considered. And obviously there is a a need for that type of calling that they are both, uh, you know, that they both, they're both addressing it. So I was, I, I was so glad they're able to join it. So it was really, really good. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Um, yeah. Learned so much. I feel like it's so, it was so hopeful talking to them. You know, I feel like there's just such, um, well, and I guess that's perfect because the name of their farm, right? Hope Harvest Farm. Um, that's exactly what their whole mission is, is just sort of spreading and creating hope. Um, what a what a beautiful, beautiful thing. And to be able to be in person, all four of us together was really a cool thing. Yeah, it was. I think that's a, that's a good format that hopefully we could replicate in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for anybody, uh, interested, please go check out their website. It is, um, hopeharvestfarm.org. Um, and their farm is in, uh, Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. They have an email address too, which is connect at hopeharvestfarm.org. Um, and hopefully we can get out there one day. That would be cool. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would be very much already. Talk to Marta, and I'm sure that uh, if I can't make it out, she'll be able to make it out with her with her grandkids. I'd love to see the ponies and the goats and whatever else they have out there. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like it's uh, sounds like it would be a really nice way to spend it out. Yeah, 
dude. So yeah. I'm hoping that if Bob may Billy's born and her grandkids can get out there to visit. Yeah. So cool. Well, thank you, pal. This was 15. 15? Yeah, this is 15. So we're uh on our way to 16. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be looking for some more guests. We've got a couple things in mind. And I would like to shamelessly plug the charity golf event that I have uh that we're sponsoring for the benefit of the ALS community. It's on June 21st at the uh, Butter Valley Golf Course in Valley, PA. We had our first event last year, very successful. We netted about $17,000 that we shared with four families, the ALS Association and the Lehigh Valley Hospital Neurology ALS Clinic. So if anybody would like to either join us for golf or make donations or whatever they would like to do to help us, because i like to reach the goal of 20000 this year, which should help us, which should make it feasible, at least I'm hoping, to uh, reach out to a, a, add an additional family this year. And it all goes back to the ALS community. And just to be clear, this is not a GoFundMe. This is nothing for myself. Um, you know, my family, we don't get a penny of it. I just want to share it with people that maybe are lack the resources that I have. So June 21st at the Butter Valley Golf Course, the Valley PA. And you can go to the website which is www.teamlettieslight.org. So that's all one word, T-E-A-M-L-E-N-N-Y-S-L-I-G-H-T, teamlettieslight.org. So anybody that like to donate, would like to play, we've got a beautiful lunch spread and lots of entertainment and Last year, it rained on us a little bit. It was a little drizzly. But I can honestly tell you that everybody had a great time. So, Oh, yeah. You can't rain. Rain can't stop the Lenny's Light Parade. <laughs> well, we'll say this can't stop it. We, yeah. are, we are limited to 120 golfers. And so far, we're over the 50% mark. We've got more than 60 golfers registered. Yeah, we just opened up registration about maybe three weeks ago. So honestly, if people get help with this cause, that would be great. So yeah. All right. That's my plug. Awesome. You do a good job plugging it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right, everybody until next time. Yep. Yeah, take care. Take care, Jesse and everybody have a, I hope you enjoyed our podcast when you get a chance to listen to it. And if you have any questions, you can always, Reach out to us, Jessica. You give people our email address to get our website, whatever we have. Yes, Roots Radio ALS at gmail.com. Okay, if anybody would like to join us, feel free to reach out. Uh, you know, we'd be definitely excited to talk to you about it.
All righty. Take care. Have a good one, Lenny. Okay, Jessica, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.